back, everybody, to a new episode of The Jerry Lawler Show. We've made it to episode three here on Podcast One. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's a ma- major accomplishment, right? It is three episodes, and uh, the reviews, again, have been very nice, uh, somewhat surprisingly where so. Where do you see all these reviews? Well, you can go Make to you know, Google or Apple or just people oh. tweeting us or comments on Facebook. It's been nice things. You know, of course, everybody, you know the drill for these uh, these shows. Please subscribe and like and leave reviews if you can. If you enjoy what we're doing here, my name is Sean Reedy. You can follow us on Twitter at Lawler Show. And you can follow my co-host at Jerry Lawler, Mr. Jerry the King Lawler. I know that you are in Orlando on secret business, but you're sneaking in a, a family vacation a as well. Secret business? What is that? You make it sound like this is some kind of clandestine <laughs> deal down here trip or something. No, I, I am in I am in uh, Orlando. It's not really secret, I don't think. I, don't I didn't know, mean maybe, to make it sound that secret. exciting to people. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not like some massive thing. It's just we're not supposed to talk about exactly what it is, but. Right. I headed from uh, Denver straight to Orlando and met up with Lauren and Peyton. And uh, we've been here. I, I com- It's a combined, like you said, work and uh, a little bit of pleasure. Finished the work yesterday. And then uh, after that, we headed over to the Disney Studios. And now today we're going to take a little time and go by Universal before we head back to well, they're heading back to Memphis tomorrow. I'm actually heading uh, tomorrow to Benton, Louisiana. You remember what? It, you remember what's happening tomorrow? Is this the restaurant? The restaurant, yes, the restaurant. Well, and probably as as people hear that, uh, it will be today that it's going to be happening. Yes, right? we we should plug that in case anybody's listening in the morning. What's going on today in Benton? Well, of course, Benton is where we've opened up another of uh, the Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue restaurants, and it's just right there on the main drag in Benton, uh, Louisiana, just a few miles north of uh, Shreveport. And today we're going to, it's sort of like a re-grand opening. We did it. We did one grand opening where I was there and signed some autographs and did a meet and greet and that sort of thing. But today, today's the big deal where we're going to bring in a ring, uh, six or eight wrestlers. We're going to have a live wrestling show right out there in the parking lot at, uh, at my new restaurant there in Benton, Louisiana. So if anybody's in earshot of that place, uh, come on by. We're going to have a great time. And it's going to be like an all-day event. I'm going to get there probably about uh, about noon, and we're going to be signing autographs and, and doing all sorts of stuff, pictures, and then having a good time all day, eating barbecue. And then uh, this afternoon, we're going to do some r- live wrestling there. Matt Riviera is going to be on hand, and a bunch of bunch of different wrestlers are going to be there to uh, put on a great great show. And from what I've seen, these restaurants, I haven't gotten to visit one yet, but they're super cool. They got all sorts of like memorabilia, and uh, yeah. they got what Memphis wrestling on the TVs and everything. Yes, they do. And uh, p- pictures of you. The best thing is they've got the Memphis barbecue. It is is so good. I can't. I just you know I eat in my restaurant there in Memphis all the time, and and I just all the time come in contact with people. Say, oh man, I got to try that. I have, haven't been by your restaurant yet, but I really got to try it. I can't urge you enough. <laughs> you you really should try because you know. Hey, let's face it. Memphis is known for barbecue. There's a there's a like a barbecue restaurant on every corner. Every street in Memphis, uh, some famous barbecue places, you know, Rendezvous and Central Barbecue and Corky's and all of these different barbecue places. And all of a sudden, King comes along and got Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue. And I think everybody's just thinking, oh, my gosh, here's, here's uh, uh, just another barbecue restaurant opening up. But I promise you, it is so good. It is, uh, it's, uh, 
And I've tried all the others of living there over my, my whole life. But I am so proud of the, of the food and the barbecue at these restaurants. That you got to just got to try it. And this is location number three. Is that right? This is well, of course, we have the uh, bar and grill down on Beale Street. Beale Street is probably the most famous tourist attraction in the entire state uh, uh, there in, and especially there in Memphis. So, you know, we get like three and a half million people come by Beale Street every year. And it's it's uh, right there next to BB King's. We have the barbecue there as well, and then we have the first barbecue restaurant out on in Germantown in Memphis, there on the Germantown Parkway, and uh, that's where the one that I eat at the most. That is really great. And then we've opened up another one in Benton, Louisiana, which is where I will be today and putting on the live wrestling show and everything. But the food's just awesome. Fantastic. Sounds like the customers are talking as we're opening more locations. But we were talking about you're in Orlando. How's the trip going? What's been your favorite thing so far, favorite stuff? Well, let's see. Well, like I said, we, we headed off to Disney yesterday. We went to the, the Hollywood Studios. And that that part of Disney, a couple things. Uh, there's there's a little restaurant in there called Prime Time. A prime time restaurant. And I've it's, probably it's been old, there five to ten times yeah, with my family. Place. Have you really? It's my it's our favorite place to eat down there. The food is fabulous, and then of course it's like a throwback to like maybe the fifties. Uh, all the old furniture and decor, and the old TVs showing showing the old black and white TV shows like Father Knows Best and Dennis the Menace and Make Room for Daddy, and all of these shows are just constantly showing on old TVs. And the waitresses are like they're your like uh it's like when you go in there it's like you're eating at your grandma's or your aunt's house or something the waitresses are uh, you know all older and they and they they come around and they they it makes you think you're you're back in time i mean the, our, our waitress came up to our as our table and we we're just sitting there and she just looks down at us and said uh no elbows on the table <laughs> And it's like, oh, oh my goodness. And they won't let you get on your cell phone while you're eating. And it's just like your, it's like your aunt or your grandma coming around and uh, laying down the law before you eat. But then the food is great. So that was, we, we, we ate there, had a good time there. And then, uh, man, the, the Hollywood studios just is really cool now. They've uh, got this huge Star Wars uh, exhibit there. And they've got a life-size Millennial Falcon. And uh, we, you go in there, and of course, all the Star Wars characters are around, taking pictures with Chewbacca and Darth Vader and all the stormtroopers. That was all cool. But the, the, the Star Wars ride itself... It's really awesome. I mean, and it's funny, Lauren or Peyton have never even seen a Star Wars movie and, and weren't really that crazy about, uh, about you know, going to this part of the park. But it was they, they both really had a good time. The ride was just awesome. That was a cool thing. And, of course, we always, we always love the Hollywood, uh, the Haunted Hotel thing there. You know, Tower of Terror. Tower of Terror, yeah. We, Peyton and I rode that twice. Uh, and then the rock and roller coaster, you know, Aerosmith, that is a, that's another really cool ride. But, uh, yeah, we were doing, we were doing all that kind of stuff. Did they open up that Mickey Mouse ride yet where the great movie ride used to be? Didn't see that. Didn't see that. Okay. It's, it's funny. A couple of times during the, during the trip, when, especially when we were in the, the throwback restaurant in the, the primetime restaurant, you know, when, when you're in there with an 11 year old, a lot of times you, you get, you get brought down to earth of, of exactly how old you are or how old your thinking is. And, and I have to keep that in mind now on, on Monday Night Raw too. And I'll tell you a little bit of a story about that. But, but we were, we were in, uh, I'm standing there with Peyton and we're going through this old, uh, 
sort of like a movie theater. And well, anyway, it was one of the stores that had a bunch of old movie theater posters, old movie posters. And there was, you know, Casablanca and the King Kong and, and all of these movies from the 30s and 40s and stuff. And all of a sudden there's, uh, I see the, the big poster for The Wizard of Oz. And I'm just looking at it, and, I, and it just all of a sudden brought this, it just brought this little one-liner to my head. And I said, I looked over at Peyton, and I said, oh, by the way, did the wizard ever get back to you about that brain? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I thought was uh, just a, a, a little funny line. Treating Peyton like he's Lance Russell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, 11-year-old Peyton just looked up at me and went, huh? And when he did that, I realized, and I said, the wizard, did he ever get back to you about that brain? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, he didn't see any humor in it because he, he had no clue. He had no idea of, of what I was talking about. And so uh, then I had to try to explain it to him. And then the, he found the humor in it after I explained the whole deal about, you know, going to see the wizard about the brain and the courage and the heart. And, and Dorothy, just all she wanted from the wizard was to get to go back to Kansas. But it took a long time to get to the punchline of that of that joke because, you know, this, the times have changed. And then that reminded me of this past Monday night uh, while we were doing Raw. I sometimes forget about how much younger Dio, especially, and Vic are than me and and uh sometimes my stuff that i say just i'm not saying it goes over their head but it's just you know they're so young they don't even they don't even get what i'm talking about anymore because they, they didn't they didn't live through it anything and the case in point was um that that wrestler andrade right uh and i guess he got he got drafted to uh raw and and so vic was vic was talking telling his credentials about andrade and I don't know, this, this stuff, crazy stuff just pops into my head. And I, I realize now, just because it pops into my head, it shouldn't come out of my mouth. But unfortunately, it usually does. So uh, right after he started talking about Andrade, when he finished, I said, uh, hey, Dio, is he any relation to Mario Andrade? <laughs> right. See, at least I got, I got a little chuckle out of you, right? And uh, and he, he was just like Peyton. All of a sudden, he goes, huh? Uh, who's that? And I mean, it, it, I realized that immediately that it just was completely lost. And and I guess he never even heard of Mario Andretti, uh, you know, the famous race car driver. And so uh, I just moved on. He's like twenty five or something, right? I think so. Yeah, or maybe maybe not even that old. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I got I got I just have to keep in mind and try to uh, realize that a lot of these people and and probably a lot of our viewers too don't even. You know, have not even lived through a lot of this stuff and don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So, I did. I did put up uh, trying to stay up with the pop culture or whatever. You know, we did the we did the little deal with uh, where I was the moderator of the of the uh, signing of the contract between Braun Strowman and Tyson Fury. And so I'm I'm out there, and then a little bit later on that night, somebody put up a tweet of of me taking the opportunity to take off, you know, like right when these two guys, these two monsters stood up, I grabbed the contract and took off out of the ring, right? And so I retweeted that, and I put up the line from that uh, little SpongeBob meme that says, well, it was, all right, I'm going to head out, right? So I put that up, and as I did, Peyton thought it was great. He's laughing about it. Lawrence says, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> But it got a, it got a lot of uh, you know got a lot of likes and a lot of people saying oh you're uh, the king is very cultured that's just a, you know just a big part of 
the current pop culture stuff, you know. Yes. Wizard of Oz, Star Wars, no. SpongeBob, yes. <laughs> right. You got to keep reminding me of that every week. We got to keep no up with the time. SpongeBob, SpongeBob, okay. And before we get back to Raw and that contract signing, I just wanted to mention you put up a great tweet of you visiting Hulk Hogan's beach shop oh, and yeah. taking pictures with uh, like a, a Jimmy Hart wax figure and all sorts <laughs> of wacky stuff there at that place. Well, you know what? And I somebody saw I saw somebody retweeted the picture or something or said what a scary. Uh, what the, the scary Jimmy Hart, but in actual in in reality, when you're standing next to it, I mean, we just stood there. You could get you know just right up close and look at the like eyes. Things got eyelashes and eyebrows and every hair on his head and everything. It's really amazing. It's it's like uh, it's it's one of those things like it, what are you, Madame Trousseau's you know House of Wax type things. It's such a good job. It just looks so realistic. The picture didn't do it do it justice. And Jimmy and I were talking uh, at uh, one of our shows a couple weeks ago about it, and uh, he was am- amazed at how realistic that thing looked. He said the hair should have been darker. It does need to be a little bit darker. But uh, when you're standing next to it, it's it's very realistic. And then there's a couple in there of really great ones of, of Hulk Hogan. We we had a good time in there. I I didn't realize, man. If you you know if you're a um, if you're a fan of Old school wrestling, or all the—I mean, they've got everything inside that inside that Hogan's uh, Beach Shop in Orlando. I mean, everything wrestling, everything from all about from the beginning of Hulk's career, uh, and then all the way up to every WWE, current WWE action figure you could ever want. Just so much cool merchandise. I'm I bought myself an NWO shirt for some really? of <laughs> Walking around Orlando with an NWO shirt on yesterday, but yeah, it was it was some cool stuff in there. I'd rec- highly recommend anybody uh, if you're in Orlando for any reason, check it out. I think it's on International Drive. It's called uh, Hogan's Beach Shop. I would do a double take if I was walking around Orlando and I saw Jerry the King Lawler wearing an NWO T-shirt. That'd be too much for me. <laughs> Just trying to you know trying to uh, trying to stay with it here a little bit, <laughs> but it's it's funny. Uh, I got a lot of looks because a lot of people came through while we were in there shopping around, and I, every one of them would be like, uh, they'd see me and they'd say, "Wait a minute, is that?" A... <laughs> so you know they all finally came over. But at first it took them a while to go. What's he doing in here? Why would he be in Hogan's Beat Shop? But it's a cool place. What's up, Brian Deegan here. I'm excited to bring you our podcast, The Deegans, that will be every Wednesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. We'll be covering many subjects such as racing, family, how we stay together, how we thrive as a family. So I think it's exciting. We're going to cover all those subjects and many more. Be sure you guys check out our new podcast, The Deegans, airing every Wednesday on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. A lot going on with Raw and the draft and the contract signing. Why don't we start with uh, you being in between those two giants, Braun Strowman and Tyson Fury, as they're signing the contract for their match at Crown Jewel coming up at the end of the month. Tell us about that segment. I, that was I, fun. I what, one of the cool things is I'm going to tell you what uh, what Braun Strowman actually said as as uh, Tyson Fury was coming down the ramp, which you know we, we weren't on camera, but yeah, you know it's the big big match is coming up at Crown Jewel. Between Tyson Fury and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask you because you probably know uh, I didn't I didn't respond but a lot of people on Twitter when I put up the or when the tweet got put up by somebody 
Apparently, I said during the introduction of this thing, they had me, of course, be the moderator to stand there between these two behemoths again. And I wish I still, but somewhere over here, I actually have my actual notes that they gave me of what I, how I was supposed to introduce these two guys. Uh, but I know that somewhere in there, the term was, or the sentence was, never before in the history of the WWE has a undefeated world boxing champion stood toe-to-toe with a WWE superstar. Now, I all of, then all of a sudden, once that tweet went up, in the next day I got some tweets saying, well, I guess you forgot about the big show and was the wrestler, I mean, what was the boxer that he Floyd fought? Mayweather. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather. Now, I said a lot of people, you know, Put that up there, but and and I I didn't forget about that. I do I do uh, remember that match. I would call that match. You know, we were there, we were there doing it, calling that match. But was that was that different than what I said? Was was Floyd Mayweather an undefeated world champion at that time, boxing world champion? Well, I know that Floyd Mayweather has never lost a fight. I don't know if he was the champion at that time maybe they meant like heavyweight champion i think that's probably the technicality i don't know you're right he he was i'm sure he was undefeated but i don't think that he was the the world champion at that particular time that would be my guess i don't know enough about boxing there's so many different titles that are going around and everything but maybe it's either it's the world champion thing or it's the fact that tyson is the heavyweight is a heavyweight i would say yeah maybe yeah that that may have been the uh that may have been the technicality there but a lot of people call me out on that but anyway yeah i was there to moderate that the cool thing was uh when when braun Strowman stepped over the ropes and he came over and it was this is really intimidating he's an intimidating guy i promise you and he just came right over to me and the and he's i'm looking up at him and he's looking down at me and he had this stern meanest look on his face and i'm thinking uh, what's this about now? <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden he sticks his hand out to shake hands, right? So then, oh, cool. So I shook hands with him, and he goes around on the left side of the table, and then, uh, and then of course I introduced Tyson Fury, and his music starts playing, and I knew the camera was on on Tyson as he's coming down the ramp, and I just slid around to the, I just slid around to next to Braun Strowman, and we're both looking at Tyson coming down the ramp, and the thing that struck me is, I and I leaned over and I said, I said. That freaking guy's arms are longer than his legs. <laughs> and Braun just laughed and he said, I know. Can you imagine me trying to get close to that guy with that reach? And, and it was, it was just amazing watching him from a distance down, you know, walking down the, this guy has got to have, uh, an, a wingspan that is just unbelievable. But anyway, I mean, his arms are so long. And I, and just, I mean, just thinking, you know, that's got to be a major, major part of his success of being the world boxing champion that he is. Is because, I mean, you know, all he's got to do is keep keep one arm out there to, uh, up near your face for a jab. And there's no way any normal person could even get close to him to land a punch. His, his, his reach is so long. And he's a natural on the microphone. Yeah, he is. He is good on the microphone. I wasn't crazy about it was so funny. Uh, I, I just wasn't crazy about the end where he looked like he couldn't break the pin. That was I don't weird. know if that was, I don't know if that was his idea or what. I mean, obviously he could break the pin with it, without any problem. And and I thought it was cool that he was, you know, he was like one up in Braun Strowman who just broke the table uh, by just saying, "Oh, you can break stuff, well, so can I." Boom, and break the pin and toss it in. I thought it would have been even funnier if it had a wooden pencil. 
but of course that was that was not up there. But I didn't. I I don't know. I th- thought it made it look kind of dumb when he just acted like he couldn't break the pin first. But that was just, that was just something I'm sure that Tyson Fury just kind of threw in there on his own, you know, because he was laughing about it. He was laughing about it later. But you know, and it reminded me of a thing that I did one time back in the day. Danny Hodge. Then here we go, another Peyton moment and another Dio moment. Uh, most people will never have even heard of Danny Hodge. I mean, he was big in the 50s and 60s. But Danny Hodge was a wrestler from Oklahoma that had this amazing grip. His, I mean, he could. He, that was part of his deal. He'd go out on TV and he'd have a pair of wire pliers, and he could just take them and squeeze those wire pliers. And no matter how big they were, made out of metal, he could just bend them right at, right on camera and everything. He just had this unbelievable grip. He could grab a guy by the wrist and make him submit just with this grip that he had. And he was a great collegiate wrestler as well. Probably one of Jr.'s favorite guys of all time, Danny Hodge, still alive. But one time he came to Memphis to fight me, and he went out and he's doing his interview with Lance Russell, and to show his his grip, he had this big, huge, uh, big, huge green apple, and uh, he, he, Lance, I think Lance handed him that apple, and he held that apple up, and he just, uh, I mean, this big, big apple, he just held it up, and he's doing his talking, and then when he finished his interview, he just started squeezing that apple until it just busted and turned into apple juice. He just crushed it right, right there on camera. And everybody's just going, Ooh, wow. You know? And so that was a, that was the point of his interview. So then I came out a little bit later to make a, my rebuttal interview about Danny Hodge. And I had the big green apple in my hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then, uh, I, I said everything I was going to say about him. And then at the end of my interview, I look in the camera and I look down at this apple and I just look back at the camera and I just reach over, took a big bite out of it, right? <laughs> and I just start eating the apple on the way out of off, off the interview. So that was that was basically, you know, what that what the breaking of the pin was about with Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman. It was just to try to kind of one up on him on what he had done with the, what Braun had done with the table. But I, I thought that went off cool, and that's going to be one of the big matches for Crown Jewel, which everybody, of course, can see on the WWE Network. And and I think that's that's going to be a that's going to be a show that I believe is going to, once again, you know, we talked about this once before. There was a time when everybody, that's uh, all we did was plug the network, you know, 999, Uh Every time you turned around, every we were trying to get people to, uh, you know, to subscribe to the network. And I swear it seems like, I don't know why, but that just seems like it's gone away. I guess they take for granted that everybody knows about it or or everybody has it or whatever. But uh, it seems like we don't really plug the network as nowhere near as much as we used to on WWE shows. But, I mean, this to me is a match that would uh, make people want to go out and get the WWE network to see this. because I mean, it's not just that match, but this Crown Jewel show. Uh, I mean, you know, there's there's that match. And then there's the uh, the Brock Lesnar match. The one I'm really looking forward to is the one with uh, you know Team Team Hogan and Team Flair. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a cool match. So you know every every everybody is going to be involved in this uh, in this show coming from Saudi Arabia, and it's only I mean the only way we're going to be able to see it is on the network. So and and, the, and I guess the cool thing is if you subscribe to the network. Uh, you get the first month free, so you get that show free. There you go. And they just announced on Monday uh, Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt, False Count Anywhere. Yeah, that's going to be good, too, especially after the 
after what went on with those guys. I don't know if they, they did or they didn't address. We talked about a little bit about how unpopular the decision was at, at Hell in a Cell. Uh, with the fans, you know, because we would, it had been built up that the only way you could win this match was by pinfall or submission. And then, of course, it was what appeared to be a disqualification or actually the referee stopping the match. So, and the fans were just not, not happy about that at all. So, uh, I, I thought that I was under the impression that they were just going to kind of go in a different direction with both those guys. But instead, you know, they came back with, with doing some more stuff between them. I don't see just to me in watching that, that, I don't know what we call it. Sometimes in wrestling, you call it a program between two guys. I don't, I don't see a good way out of, of having Bray Wyatt, the fiend go against Seth Rollins because in the WWE's eyes, I mean, Seth Rollins is, is like, he's your top fan favorite. I would think, or one of the top fan favorites. And unfortunately, or not unfortunately, I mean, that's not that at all, but I don't think they intended it to happen this way. But all of a sudden, The Fiend has become one of the top fan favorites. And I and I think that from the get-go, they thought the people were going to hate The Fiend and just, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, that's that's usually the... That's usually the secret to success. It has been for years and years and years. That's what the job of the promoter or the booker is to determine which wrestler the fans like the most and determine which wrestler the fans don't like the most. And you put those two guys against each other, and that is usually what draws the most fans to the arena to see the match. And so that's what they thought they were going to have with Seth Rollins being the guy the fans like the most and Bray Wyatt being the guy that... uh the fans dislike the most, but it didn't turn out that way. They, the fans have really fallen in love with this Bray Wyatt fiend character. So then you really got your back against the wall when all of a sudden you got, it's, it's always been tough to book two fan favorites against each other. And that's what has happened in this in this thing. So I, I was kind of thinking that, that maybe they would just, like after the hell in the cell, that maybe they would just go in a different direction and almost forget that... Uh, forget that this had happened and put these two guys against other opponents but nope they're they're coming back with some more you know they went through the burning down of the fun house and and now they're going to have the falls count anywhere and i could these guys could be out on camels in the desert over there <laughs> before this match is over yeah it is interesting that they are going back with the falls count anywhere so i would imagine we're going to get some sort of a decisive finish this time and we'll see which direction they go usually survivor series is uh yeah, champion versus I mean, champion. You're right, but tell me this. Just uh, let's let me put you. Uh, let me put the Booker's hat on you, Sean. What kind of a decisive finish would you come up with if you had the Fiend against Seth Rollins? Give me a give me a give me a decisive finish. I feel like you got to do some sort of a you know some sort of a big stunt and have uh, Bray Wyatt win because. Look at everything that he endured at the last pay-per-view. I think it was 11 curb stomps, and he had uh, <laughs> chairs and tables on his head and was getting hit with a tool. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've, but the other thing is that Bray got drafted to SmackDown. Yeah. So I don't know if he can win the title. <laughs> right. That's, 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 it's a dilemma. And the, the people don't... People don't stop to think about, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. And because these dilemmas come up all the time. Oh, my gosh, what do we do now? I, I think we said this last week that somebody had said uh, Sam Munchnik, the old NWA founding promoter, had had been quoted as saying, if you can't come up with a finish, don't book the match. And I think they've, they've put themselves in that, that, that tough situation with Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. And that's why I thought, well, they just won't book that match anymore. 
but maybe they're they're obviously smarter than you and I, Sean. Well, it's a show with a lot of intrigue. Not only that match, but I mean, just to see. I mean, I have no idea what Cain Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar in a WWE ring is going to look like. We've seen it in a UFC octagon. Now we see it in a ring. Uh, we got Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman. Again, no idea what that's going to look like. Uh, and I thought I'd get your opinion because you, you know, as I've done the podcast with Jerry Jarrett, there's been so many times where we've talked about inexperienced guys who got pushed into main events. And I asked him if he would be nervous. And he always says no, because I knew that uh, Jerry Lawler would be working with them. And Lawler was like the master of making everybody look like they belonged and were good. So, I mean, you had matches with, like, Leon Spinks. Uh, you know, you and Snowman did almost like an MMA-style match one time. I remember, you know, guys like Jimmy Hart, Andy Kaufman, Bam Bam Bigelow, start of his career. Uh, what was your approach to getting in there with someone who was not experienced? Well, you know what? Once again, I, I when I try to think back on on some of those matches and some of these different characters that that it happened with. Oh gosh, uh, man, I guess probably, uh, bam, bam, big. Oh, I'm, I'm just looking right now on, uh, on ESPN. Lauren just came in, turned the TV on and there's uh triple H sitting there and, uh, it's on the ESPN first take and there's Tyson Fury and triple H. And they're talking about the WWE crown jewel, Braun Strowman versus Tyson Fury, which is October 31st. It's going to be Halloween. Oh my goodness. WWE is everywhere right now. Yeah, they are. They really are. And I, as I look at, they're showing they're showing pictures of uh, Tyson Fury with his boxing gloves on. Now that's that's a, when we were talking about me going against Mike Tyson, and 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> Lord is just pointing out the fact that if you if you could see this, you'd realize that Tyson Fury has stolen one of my shirts. No. He's, he's got one of the shirts that I used to wear on the, you know, that was reminiscent of the rock shirts. But yeah, it looks like, it looks like Tyson Fury is going to be wearing boxing gloves. And, and, uh, Braun, of course, will be, will be just wrestling, which that's, that's a tough match too. And I'll, I'll never forget when we did the match with, with Leon Spinks. Uh, when I, when I fought Leon Spinks, oh gosh, I don't know if I did, I don't know if I did, boxing gloves as well but we've, we've done that a bunch of times with uh we that's the way we brought in rocky johnson the rock's dad we brought him into memphis as a boxer and we went i went against i went against him in um i think boxing versus i, I may have worn gloves first i don't know we, we did a lot of matches like that but i i didn't really ever stop to think that man i I never worried about the fact that this guy that I'm going in there with is just really green and doesn't, doesn't really know what he's going to do. I just, I would always tell everybody, just listen, just listen to what I say. And, and I don't know. I just always had the confidence that I could, I could lead us through. And in my mind, I was just always thinking about what would the, what are the fans wanting to see here? What, what is going to, what is going to make this get over? Uh, with, with the fans. And, and that was, that was my thinking in the match, you know. I'll just tell my opponent. And, and, and you're right about the fact that there were so many guys that came through Memphis. Uh, I can tell you a couple of them that really had no, almost zero experience when they, when they all of a sudden got thrust into a main event match in front of like 11,000 people at the Mid South Coliseum. One of them uh, was, to, was telling me not too long ago was the Godfather. Oh yeah, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he 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 is he is just starting to train at Larry Sharp's Monster Factory up in New Jersey, and uh, all of us. He said, all of a sudden, Larry Sharp, like on the second day of training, said, "I'm going to send you down to Memphis. They need somebody to work with Jerry Lawler." And he goes, well, "What do you mean, send me down to Memphis? I haven't even I haven't even started training yet." He said, "Don't worry, just listen to Lawler." And he said, "That's what he said. That was my." That was my introduction. He said, he, he put me a ticket. They sent me down to Memphis and I showed up and, and you and I were in the main event at the Mid-South Coliseum. And, you know, we were always just looking for big guys, just big, uh, uh, impressive looking guys. Another one was Kamala. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we just, uh, this, this guy, this big guy from walks up to me in the back of the Coliseum one day and he said, uh, Mr. Lawler, I'm, my name's Sugar Bear Harris. I'm from Senatobia and I'd like to wrestle for you guys. And, you know, the next Monday night, he came out as Kamala, the Ugandan giant, never been in, never even wrestled a match at the Mid-South Coliseum in his life. And all of a sudden, here he was coming out as this, the Uganda, this cannibal from Uganda. And we had J.J. Uh, Dillon cut us a promo for him. And, and, and boom, the people had never seen or heard of him. And we sold out with the guy, you know. And, and once again, the, uh, Leon Spinks coming in and doing some wrestling shows. He had never done that sort of stuff before, but he just, uh, uh, I, every one of them, thank to, to their credit, every one of them just listened to me. And, and like I said, I just went out into the, into the match thinking, if I was a fan sitting out in the audience, what would I like to see happen here? And so that's what we, that's what I tried to, that's what I tried to give the people, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it kind of came naturally to you, like most things in your career. I remember listening to your old podcast, and there was talk about, like, would you ever want to teach at NXT? And you just said, it's hard for you to teach because things just, it just came to you naturally. You just went out there and did it and didn't think so much about it in the ring. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I always I always had this um, ability and sort of still do to do stuff on the spur of the moment or off the cuff. And Jimmy Hart always tells me, we were just talking about it again the other day. He said, man, I'll just never forget. It was the most fun time I ever had in the business. He said, but it used to drive me crazy. He said, we'd get to TV and we'd be going on the air in, in, in one hour. And, uh, you know, he said, all the guys would be sitting back in the dressing room saying, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to say? And he said, I would come to you and say, King, uh, could you, could you tell me what, what you want me to say on this interview? He said, you'd always say, hey, don't rush me. Don't rush me. We got plenty of time. Don't leave. And he said, it would always wind up being, you know, right before it was time to go out to talk to Lance or Dave, you say, Oh, uh, here, Jimmy, just say this and say this and say this. And, and he said, it would always work out right. But he said, you were so last minute with everything. It used to drive me nuts. And that's, you know, I, I don't know, this kind of stuff would just sort of come to me uh, as it was happening. And I, that's that's why I think that's something you can't teach. That's why I don't think I would be good at trying to teach young guys, um, you know, what to do, because I never I never really I never really thought about it that far ahead. I didn't I just I would just do stuff on the spur of the moment. And fortunately for me, most of the time it worked out. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, people are different. Randy Savage, they said, would like have the whole match kind of written out a week ahead of time, right? With oh. his style. Well, he didn't with he didn't with with the matches that I had with him. But yeah, there are some people that that love to do that, and 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 that's uh, for Monday night. That drives me crazy. That's it. It uh, like one of the things that I don't really don't like about doing the commentary now is uh, like uh, the the last two weeks. They had me moderate something with the, uh, you know, with Braun Strowman and with Tyson Fury. 
And what happens is uh, one of the writers will, and it, and I guess they think that it's that it's sort of doing you a favor, or whatever. They just they they know how they want it to be. So they come to me early, you know, before the show, and they got the everything that they want me to say is all written out. And then all of a sudden, you got to look at this and think, well, this is obviously the way they want it, word for word. So I got to memorize this. I got to I got to look at this, and I got to when I get ready to go in the ring. I got to say this word for word. And there was that part about, like I said, oh, let me see if I can remember sort of what it looked like. But it drives me crazy. I'm, I'm terrible at that kind of preparation. I'm terrible if somebody saying, here, memorize this and go in there and, and say it word for word. And especially after you've been sitting out there for two and a half hours <laughs> trying to be say stuff off the cuff, trying to come up with stuff and trying to be entertaining. And then in the back of your mind, you're saying, Oh my gosh, I gotta remember this. I mean, at every, every commercial break, I'm looking down at them, I'm rereading this sheet over and over and over, and, uh, you know, and, and all of a sudden, I have to get up during the commercial break, walk down, get in the ring, and send the microphone, and then boom, they point at you, and, you know, said, well, you know, last Friday night at the, uh, WWE Crown Jewel official press conference in Las Vegas, an amazing match was announced. I'm just you know, trying to remember as best I can, you know, and that's where the line come up. Never before in history has a world boxing champion gone toe to toe with a with a WWE wrestler, you know, and then, and and it was a long <laughs> to me. It was like a long drawn out uh, introduction. So I had to, I had to do all of say all of that and uh, try to get it down word for word. And I'm just I'm just very uncomfortable in those situations. I wish they'd have just said, "Hey, go out and introduce Tyson Fury and and Braun Strowman and and uh, tell them it's going to be the contract signing." But you know that's just not the way things are done anymore. That's the, that's the, that's why WWE has like probably thirty writers on the staff, and and uh, I think they think it's to take the pressure off of the wrestlers by having them you know, help them out with what all they need to say. But to me, it puts, to me, it's tough. I, I see, I see wrestlers all the time, you know, walking around backstage trying to remember, uh, trying to remember what they need to say when they get out there on camera. But it's the business is the, the, the wrestling world has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys are out there cutting 10 minute interviews. It's got to be. How do they do it? I don't know how they do it. I mean, I could cut a, I could cut a 10 minute interview. And no problem, just coming off the top of my head. But these guys go out there and they cut ten minute interviews that you know that that they've rehearsed and and memorized. I I I don't see how they do it. I mean, that's the real acting skills. That's like being in a, doing stuff in a movie or whatever, you know, where everything is is uh, scripted out for you. Maybe a teleprompter would be a good investment, just like next to the hard cam. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, promise you every time i they every time they ask me to do this i think why can't we just just even go old school just have somebody hold up some cue cards i'll never forget you know when i was on the david letterman show and everything everything that david letterman said there's a guy standing in front of the camera and he's holding up just poster boards with all the words written out and they're just slipping them in, you know every every sentence is on a is on a poster board and the guy's holding it up right beside the right beside the camera you know that's the way it has always been i guess but we, we've never done that. <laughs> that also brings to mind the time that uh, back in 2007, I'm fixing to get in, inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. And that was the first time I, uh, they, they brought in William Shatner to uh, induct me. And uh, he comes, he gets to Wizards in Michigan. He comes, he gets to the arena. And we're standing backstage talking a little bit. And he says, uh, 
uh, Jerry, he said, how far away is the teleprompter from where he said, my, uh, my, you know, I don't want to really wear my glasses, but, uh, so how far away is the teleprompter from the podium where I'm speaking from? And I'll never forget the look on his face when I said, Oh, Bill, we don't use teleprompters. <laughs> and he just looked at me and went, huh? <laughs> they don't have teleprompters. So then he goes, Oh my gosh. And so then the next next thing you know, for the next thirty minutes or so, I see I see William Shatner back there doing what I was what I was doing on Raw. He's, he's looking over this and, and, and he's looking over this uh, introduction that these writers have written for him to introduce me and, and, and induct me into the Hall of Fame. And they wrote like it was crazy. It was like they wrote two pages worth of stuff <laughs> to try to memorize, right? Oh, there's something funny about William Shatner. Oh, oh my gosh! And I, I look back and I think about it so many times, thinking, I wish he had. They had just said. They had just said, "Hey, just go out there and talk about the time that that you." You know, that you were on plugging your tech wars and, and you wound up giving me a monkey flip and here the monkey flipping right into the Hall of Fame. Here's Jerry the King Long. But instead, you know, he went out there and he couldn't memorize the stuff. So he took pages with him and he couldn't read it without putting on his glasses. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's holding a paper up and uh, trying to read all of this introduction. And all of a sudden the fans start going, you don't know him. You don't know him. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. So anyway, he finally gets me out there, and, and, and I say my little piece. And I walked over and sat down beside him. He goes, tough crowd, huh, King? <laughs> At least did he get what or just the chant? No, just the, just, no, just the chant. I, this may have been before the what thing caught on real big. I was just thinking, just to kind of talk about another high-profile, actually, national pay-per-view. Uh, Mark Henry's first match was with you, correct? Yeah. As far yeah. as on national TV. It was. You know, there, there's another situation. I just, uh, I was always good when, you know, uh, when the guy, my opponent was a lot bigger than me or stronger than me or tougher than me, that, that sort of thing. I was, uh, I was always good in that underdog role. I would know how to, or I felt like I could, you know, oversell the, the guy's size or strength and that sort of stuff. And then, and then finally make a, make a superhuman comeback sort of thing. But in, in the case of Mark Henry, I just oversold and, and, and uh, Never made the superhuman comeback. <laughs> I never forget that, you know, I've told this story before, but it was the old deal where he's standing in the middle of the ring. I look at him and I say, uh, you're not so big. You're not so tough. Watch this. And, you know, I hit the ropes. I come in. I, I Boom. I hit him. Bounce off. Knocks me down. And he's just standing there, you know, like a brick wall. I said, oh, okay. I'll try it again. I'll give it a little extra shot here. Man, I hit the ropes the second time I go off again. Boom. And bang. I, it knocks me down, right? And I say, well... Third time's got to be the charm. So I really, you know, build up a head of steam. I hit the ropes as hard as I can. I've come off with all my speed and intensity that I can. And he sidesteps me and just swats me in the back. And I, it was like, I never forget it. It's like a being hit by a grizzly bear paw. I mean, he, Mark Henry really did not know his own strength. When he sidestepped me, and I guess probably, you know, in, in uh, it was his first match too. I'm sure he's like, uh, you know, under a lot of pressure, nervous wreck. When he sidestepped me, and all he was supposed to do was just like swat me in the back to give me that extra momentum. Well, and I guess it probably to Mark Henry, it was just a little swat in the back. But him being the world's strongest man, it was like I get hit by from behind by a wrecking ball. Bam! It knocked me completely through the ropes. I didn't even have time to grab the ropes to stop break my fall. Right? It knocked me completely through the ropes. Out uh, past the um, past the ring, and I've wound up with my face right into the. Back then, we used to have those metal barriers around the ring, right? 
those uh, mm-hmm. the like little metal berries, and it I wound up with my face pressed up against uh, uh, those metal barriers. And it was so funny because I'll never forget when I when I when I came to a stop, my face is pressed up against a barrier, and I'm turned sideways. And I'm looking right up into the. I'm looking right up at the announce table, and Vince McMahon is calling the match, right? <laughs> and I and I'm just all of a sudden when I open my eyes, I'm staring eye to eye with Vince, and he's looking down at me like he just didn't believe what he just saw, right? <laughs> like did, did this guy just knock Lawler completely out of the ring with a <laughs> swat, right? And, and I'm looking at Vince like, you realize what you put me in right here with this. This freaking strongest man in the world, but yeah, it was uh, it, it was something. But it, it it turned out good. It turned out good for Mark. Well, what I always enjoyed about your matches, and we're getting off on a tangent here, but I think the fans will enjoy this. Is uh, everything you did always had like a purpose in your matches? There's always a story being told. Like you mentioned, when you would face you know power guys like the Road Warriors, there would be where they would knock you down over and over and over again, and then finally you'd get a punch. Um, I, I feel like you're just like the greatest storyteller in ring that there's ever been. I mean, is that something that maybe you've never even really thought about it? But I feel like does that come from like your artistic background or your love of you know movies and comics? Everything you did always just told a story in the ring. It wasn't just being done for the sake of filling time. Yeah, well, you know what? It's probably uh, I don't know where that came from, what background it came from, but maybe a little bit of all of those things that you that you just mentioned. But it goes back to once again in my mind. Because I was I was a wrestling fan. I've always been a wrestling fan. You know, me and my dad used to go to the matches. Uh, I used to watch the matches when we lived up in near Cleveland, Ohio. First time I ever even saw wrestling was on TV up there. And then came back and we'd, my dad and I would go on Monday nights to sit, uh, not ringside, but back in the box seat back there and watch the matches. I watch them really closely, and I just I just loved it. And I guess I, I think I think maybe watching those matches had a big influence on me. As far as like like what you talked about telling the story, and and like I said earlier, I would just I would always go into a match with the mindset of if I was a fan out there watching this right now, what would I like to see? And uh, you know, like one of the one of my one of the cases in points would be the first time wrestling Kamala. I mean, it was uh, you know it was Jerry Jarrett and I came up with the idea of. And, and the reason we did was because uh, in the news at the time, uh, there was this the guy that was actually the Ugandan president was in the news. Uh, his name was Idi Amin. You can go back and look it up. I mean, his name was Idi Amin. And he was the president of the country of Uganda over in Africa. And he was a bona fide cannibal. He was an admitted cannibal. He had eaten human flesh. And he was, he somehow became this dictator and the president of Uganda. So that was a big thing in the news. So that's why when I saw James Harris and this big monstrous looking guy that uh, looks like he could have, he could have, you know, fit that bill, uh, you know, we just, we just capitalized on the situation and said, you know, we're going to make you the Ugandan giant and you're going to be this, this uh, this wrestler that James J. Dillon has on his worldwide travels has found over in the country of Uganda, and he's bringing you back to the United States. 
And I'll never forget sitting in the back in the dressing room with James, and he was just the most kindest, most mild mannered guy ever. Uh, you know, just uh, just a big old teddy bear, and that's why his name his name had been Sugar Bear Harris because he was just like a big old teddy bear. And I just would tell him before the match, I said, "Look, these people don't don't think that you have ever been in a wrestling ring before in your life, so don't do any don't do any kind of wrestling moves." I said, "All I want you to do is." is like throw chops, just chop me in the head, chop me in the face, chop me in the chest, just throw chops and try to bite me. Just try, you know, you're supposed to be a cannibal. And all of a sudden, you're, I want you to look at me as your next meal. And so, and I'll just try to avoid all of that. And so that's, and, and, and man, he, I mean, James took to it like a fish out of water, or like a fish in water. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was perfect for that. It just fit him to a T. And we had built it up so that in my mind, I thought this is the way the fans are going to want to see this play out. They're going to want to see this monster cannibal try to devour their king, and and it's going to be tough. But some kind of way, the king will eventually either outsmart the guy or prevail in the end. And that's, you know, that's the way I always went into all those kind of matches. Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics, or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's a network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content, you own your subscribers, no tricky stuff there. And you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast, and if your show grows, you could even be invited to join Podcast One's all-star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course me, Jordan Harbinger, I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show. We need to get to uh, a little discussion of the draft. Uh, I know that you and I were a little concerned last week about the draft, but I think Raw did pretty well. We have yeah. uh, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Randy Orton made the move over, Kevin Owens made the move over. Uh, so really the big loss was, uh, Bray Wyatt going to SmackDown, but overall pretty good night for Raw. Couple nights. I think so too. And especially, you know, I said a couple times. Becky Lynch, the, I forgot, of course. Yeah, Becky Lynch. That's a, that was like a, a, I mean, to me, that's Becky Lynch right now, uh, would be the major draft pick without a doubt. And didn't, didn't, didn't we get Charlotte Flair as well now? Her as well, yes. Yeah, I was accidentally the, reading a list that separated men and women. I wasn't being sexist. So yes, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, as well as uh, the the Viking Raiders, the OC, Street Profits, great stuff. Yeah, I I, I did say I wish I wished. Uh, I, well, I love the Viking Raiders too. They're going to be they're going to be a lot of fun for you know kind of one liner material and everything. I, I hate that we didn't get uh, heavy machinery because those guys would just be you know endless. Uh. Uh, 
endless material when you're doing commentary. But yeah, no, it's it's we we talked about a deal and and Vic and I talked about the fact that a lot of these a lot of these draft picks. I, I remember Dio saying it. We're looking at the future of the WWE right here, and uh, and uh, tonight in this match, who was it? Was it um, was it the oh, Buddy Murphy Cedric Alexander? Yeah, there there you go. That was one, and then Ricochet was somebody. I mean, but anyway, yeah, these these guys that right now uh, haven't had a lot of attention, but they have a tremendous amount of talent, and uh, you know now with Raw being a, a three hour show. There's going to be these guys are going to be given a lot more exposure and and like like Dio said they're the they're the future of the company and so it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys develop and hopefully help help them along the way. Yeah, I mean when you look at the list, there is the young talent like Drew McIntyre, Ricochet, Andrade, Alistair Black, uh, Viking Raiders. But then Street Profits, but then they have the, the veterans to work with, like an AJ Styles or Randy Orton or a Samoa Joe or a Rey Mysterio. So it's a good mix. It is a really good mix. And when all, all those veterans that you just mentioned, I'm excited about every one of those guys. Randy Orton, uh, Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio. Uh, I mean, if, if I was sitting down and looking at the, uh, you know, and looking at the roster, I would have, I would have tried to pick every one of those guys. And I'm excited to see Kevin Owens on Raw, who you had yeah. his very last independent match with, the pile driver match. Yeah, the night before, that, I, uh, Kevin Owens and I were in a pile driver match in a show called Wrestling Under, Under the Stars for uh, Michael Lombardi and his in his Northeast Wrestling shows. And then the very next day, Kevin Owens started at uh, started in WWE, went down to NXT, didn't, didn't have to stay there very long. And man, he's he's... He's been really, really, uh, really good and really successful uh, in his run so far in, in WWE. I'm, I'm proud of the guy. I'm excited to see the Street Profits finally getting in the ring after being backstage, kind of narrating the show for the last few months. I think they've got a, a ton of potential, and the OC are a perfect group for them to have a feud with. Yeah, you know what? And, and watching those Street Profit guys, I think I think a lot of people are going to be surprised if you hadn't seen him before, uh, like like Dio was saying, you know, he's he's been real familiar with him, seeing him a lot. But now that they're coming to, uh, you know, going to be getting in the ring on Raw, I think you're going to be surprised at how big these guys are. You know, when you see them backstage just talking and everything, you lose sight of the fact that uh, these guys are huge. <laughs> where, where, where do you see them uh, up against the uh, uh, OC, even though, uh, you know, those uh, guys are big as well? But did you see when they're standing next to uh, AJ? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they dwarf, they dwarf AJ Styles. They're they're a couple of big guys, and they, we know we know they can talk. And now we're going to see if they can walk the walk. So yeah, Raw looks good. I'm very interested to see. You know, obviously with Paul Heyman being the executive director and his whole thing in ECW was developing young talent and SmackDown when he had his run there. So kind of is in his wheelhouse. Uh, the other thing that happened this week that got a lot of talk, and I know you don't have a lot of insight on this, but uh, Eric Bischoff is no longer the executive director running SmackDown. That's gone to Bruce Pritchard has made his way all the way back to that role. Yeah, and uh, I was telling you earlier, I, it was funny because other than Booker T, I, I was, you know, the only time that I really have a chance to sit down and, and kind of shoot the breeze with anybody is in catering, and I'll I'll go and spend at least an hour in catering just because there's nothing else to do, you know, or other sit in talent relations and talk to guys there as they come through. But I'll just go and find myself a little table in catering and sit down and and spend some time there at the Pepsi Center there in Denver. It's a weird a weird catering situation. They have a uh, 
uh, I guess it's the rest. It's almost like a big restaurant inside the Pepsi Center that is is uh, when you walk into it, and this is where they had the catering set up for uh, for all the wrestlers. But when you walk into this this place there in the Pepsi Center, which is a real ultra modern facility and building and everything, but all of a sudden you walk into this really dark looking place, and the walls are like an old log cabin. And everything is this Western motif. There's these paintings of Indians and cowboys and and buffaloes and and all of this kind of stuff. The whole motif is like an old Western inside of an old Western log cabin. And so uh, <laughs> I was just walking around looking at all the art on the wall, some amazing old pictures um, of, of paintings and things of uh, cowboys and Indians. And so anyway, I, I go in and there's Booker T sitting by himself at a table. So I go over and sit down with Booker T, and, and we start talking about, uh, basically we start talking about uh, his uh, different social media things. And he, he enlightened me on a lot of different social media stuff about, one thing's about how well he's with his uh, YouTube channel and, and, and all of this sort of stuff, and giving me, giving me some tips on that. And then, then suddenly Bruce Pritchard comes over, and Bruce sits down, and we I, I'm sure we must have talked about all kind of stuff for like maybe an hour, but he never once mentioned the fact that I, I don't know if at that time he even knew it or not. I, I just feel like if he had known it, he would have said something to me about it because we were just we were just talking about, you know, we were talking really just a casual conversation about all sorts of things, and I'm sure that it would have come out some kind of way, but uh, he didn't say anything about the fact that he was going to be replacing Eric Bischoff. And then all of a sudden, like, like, like I said, Eric Bischoff is just, apparently he's gone from the company. I don't know. I have to, I've been, you know, I left that next morning and headed down here to Orlando. And next thing you know, yesterday I hear that uh, I just kind of heard through social media that Eric Bischoff is gone. Yeah. I don't know what happened. They released a statement to the media saying that he's no longer with the company. You know, Bischoff and Conrad uh, are so smart that I saw Bischoff was plugging a, a T-shirt that says fired that you can buy with the name of his <laughs> podcast on it. <laughs> and he's already got a T-shirt out that says fired? Yes, I saw that on his Twitter. That is the, that is the world we live in in 2019. Yeah. There's another thing I'm a little hot at too, and not that not that I'm 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 not hot at Dio at all, uh, but it's just a little bit weird about the the WWE. I think I've been I've been in WWE for 25 years, and I've had two T-shirts, and the first one didn't come out. I don't know for like after I'd been there 19 or years or so, I finally got a Jerry Lawler T-shirt, and then the only second one came out after I died on the air. <laughs> That's what it took. Yeah, it took me to die on the air, and they they sent back, they brought out a T-shirt that said "Long Live the King." But I mean, how how many weeks now has Dio uh, Dio Madden been on the air? Three weeks. Yeah, it got all of a sudden got a T-shirt. Dio Madden T-shirts are available at WWE Shop Zone. So you got to give them grief about that. I, I never thought about that. Yeah, that is true. I don't know why they. I mean, at the peak of the Attitude Era, I could think of some good ideas for T-shirts that would have sold real well of yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll buy some. So uh, you guys there at WWE Shops uh, put out put out a King Lawler T-shirt. I do have a Jerry Lawler T-shirt, but it was one that uh, you sold personally, so it wasn't. Uh... Oh yeah, you know, uh, I think the what is it? What, who's making some now? People in Chicago who does all those cool oh, t-shirts. pro wrestling tees. Yeah, pro wrestling tees. Yeah, I think you can go there and find a Jerry Lawler shirt or two. All right, make sure to catch the Jerry Lawler store there. Uh, anything else from the week before we get to where everybody can see you coming up? Let's see. 
Looking back at my book here now. Oh my gosh! Look, what, and one of the things what, what we got coming up. I got um, of all things, you know where Raw is next Monday. I don't even know off the top of my head. Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, very good, very so, good. You know, I, 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 when I've heard this, I think, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. I'll go up early Sunday, go to the Browns game, and then Raw will be there, and a bunch of players will be coming to Raw and everything. Of course, you know when you know it. This is their bye week. They have no. They have no game Sunday, and then we're there Monday for all. Well, at least, at least some of the players should be able to come, right? Or do they all leave town? Yeah, there should be some. I'm going to try to get Miles Garrett to come, and and of course, you know, uh, who knows? They get Baker Mayfield to come. So it's it's so funny, you know. They're doing they with the, all the uh, you know there was all the hype and all the emotion and everything about how the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl and everything. And then, of course, they've gotten off to such a disappointing start, and then one thing going wrong, and everything. Uh, you know, one thing and then the next. And so there's a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of discontent there among the fans in Cleveland. Apparently, I just saw this yesterday, that Miles Garrett, who, of course, is a big, uh, you know, he's a big defensive end and one of the star players for the Browns. Apparently, he said a fan, and that you got to use that word loosely, but asked him to uh, take a picture with him. Uh, I don't know if the guy pulled over the car or whatever, or something flagged him down or something, and asked to take a picture with him. And then as soon as Miles Garrett agreed, and, and as soon as they took the picture, the guy punched Miles Garrett in the face. What? <laughs> punched him right in the face and took off it's in the news. So, uh, oh, my goodness. I, I know it. It's crazy. The fans in Cleveland, man, they, they really want their teams to do well, and they get upset if they don't. So I don't, I don't, know, how, I don't know if these guys will, will want to put themselves out in front of a big crowd and uh, face the wrath of some of the fans right now in, up in Cleveland or not. But I'm going to sure make sure that they know uh, my friend Brad Mellon, who's the equipment manager. Uh, I'm sure he'll come and some of uh, some of his staff. And any of the players that want to come, I'm going to give them a personal invite to be at Raw on the 21st there in Cleveland. That guy who punched him must be very confident in his speed and ability to get away. No kidding. You're not lying. I haven't heard the outcome. I didn't hear exactly what happened. It was just a, just like a little headline story on social media that this fan, in parentheses, punched Miles Garrett in the face after asking him to take a picture with him. Well, thankfully, the schedule gets a lot easier coming up as you only have to head to New England for the next game. So Yeah, and that's, yeah, it's a, yeah it's something to really look forward to. Go to New England, play the undefeated Patriots at home. As a Jets fan, I'll be pulling hard for the Browns, but that's a tough one. Yeah, very tough. Anything else but, coming up? But you really, after that, the season does get a little. You know, this season does get a little easier for the schedule. Gets a little easier for the Browns, and hopefully, they'll still be able to come out with a winning season this year. Hopefully, hopefully. Any anything else coming up where people can see the king? Yeah. No, I'm going to say pretty much in hiding for a while. I think I'm just going to be on Monday Night Raw after, of course, like I said, the the barbecue. Oh, the uh, Memphis Comic Con. I got it. Yeah, this is crazy. This this weekend is big in the fact that uh, I'm going to be doing the live wrestling event at my restaurant in Benton, Louisiana on uh, on Friday the 18th. And then, starting on uh, Saturday morning, the 19th, the Memphis Comic Expo at the Agri Center, the Memphis Comic Con, is going to be taking place. And I'm going to be out there at 10 o'clock the next morning uh, with my Batmobile. And I'm bringing my buddy uh, Mike Kingston from all the way is coming down from Albany, New York, with this. He's the guy that does the Headlock comics that I've done all the all the covers and artwork for. Mm-hmm. 
It's going to be it's going to be first time in Memphis at the uh, Comic Expo. You know, I did a, a Twitter live with Randy Hales, and like three different people asked if I've been in the Batmobile yet. So that thing gets a lot of talk. I, I don't know why. It's just I mean, when I drive it around, people just it, it never fails to uh, put a smile on people's face when they see the Batmobile driving up and down the street. It's just a little bit unusual, but it's sort of dangerous because everybody wants to like you know everybody gets right up beside you. And they got their camera phones out and taking pictures. But now we just passed a new law in Tennessee. It's hands. Hands-free driving law. So if you're if you're seen uh, driving and holding your phone, uh, you get a big ticket. So maybe that'll cut down on people trying to take pictures of the Batmobile when I'm driving down the street in it. Yeah, I can understand if I saw Jerry Lawler driving a Batmobile, you know, in the lane next to me, I might get my attention <laughs> diverted for a second for for sure. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we made it through another one. We did. I think so. How long have we been talking? You really talk a lot, Sean. I'm going to have to slow you down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> about, about an hour ten. Well, that's good. Uh, and, and once again, we want to ask everybody to uh, – I would really appreciate it if you go on Twitter or any kind of social media and tell us if you enjoy – if you're enjoying the podcast and uh, let everybody know about it. We're trying to trying to get this thing out there as much as we can. And I know we're on Podcast One, which these people are awesome. They're great to, great to work with. And, uh, of course, the only other wrestling uh, podcast on Podcast One is Stone Cold Steve Austin's. And we want to get everybody involved through social media. Okay? So what, what do we need them to do, Sean? Tweet? Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. the The handles for everything is the same. It's uh, uh, at Lawler Show. Uh, same thing for YouTube and Instagram. So uh, check us out. Absolutely, we'd love to hear from you. Hear what you want to hear from us in the future and what you think. And uh, we'd love to be interactive. And you know what we did mention? I think we did mention last week, and and you and I talked about it a little bit this week. And I think that uh, I may have told him that we were going to try to have him on this week. Uh, we talked about Jason Sensation. Yes, a young guy that used to be on the on the WWE shows, and 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 you sent me, you know, you sent me some material about uh, some of the situation that he's gone through since he was on WWE, uh, doing the doing all of those impersonations of the wrestlers. I mean, the guy was so talented and everything, but he's been through a really really tough time, and we want to talk to him a little bit about that. And as a matter of fact, when. Uh, you know when when and I didn't even, I didn't even know about this and you sent me some information about it but he's when uh, when I was uh, communicating back and forth and he said well yeah he said I burned some bridges there and apparently you know he's he's done a few things and said a few things after he was no longer working with the WWE that have been that you know have come back to haunt him and caused him some problems and everything we want to talk to him about that showing that you know we don't we don't hold any grudges here it's, it's, and I didn't I didn't even know about the problems that the young man has had but he's a really talented individual and we're going to try to have him on the show next week i i i don't know about you but i love people that can do that that can impersonate other people i mean and this guy is amazing uh, i want to get him to cut some i want to get him to cut some uh, promos and stuff for us and other people's and these other wrestlers voices that we can use throughout the year but we're going to try to have this guy on next week jason sensation it was i i, I just told him it was going to be tough this week since i was down here in florida and everything but that's uh that's one of the things we're going to have in the future and every, you know what i've been telling and i've been having people like jimmy hart and everybody said king king if you want me on the podcast, just call me. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to just start making some random phone calls. We might make that a we might make that a weekly thing where we'll just call some people un, unannounced and just <laughs> don't maybe don't even tell them that they're on the podcast. Just call them up and say uh, just start talking to them. Some different people over the over the weeks next coming up on the, on the podcast. Oh, Jimmy Hart for sure, the greatest feud of all time. Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> 
And uh, Jason Sensation, yeah, it's amazing the uh, impact he made on people because that was 20 years ago, and everybody still remembers, I think, his Owen Hart impersonation oh. and Bret Hart and Undertaker. That is, are you kidding me? That's 20 years ago? That was 1998 that he was on Raw. Oh, my gosh. Peak of the that's, Attitude Era. That's unbelievable. Well, it's amazing we're both still alive 20 years later. We'll talk about that. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, man. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you and talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, everybody. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com.